0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. How you doing, Nate?
0: I'm good, John. I'm sorry we couldn't be together in person today, but you're uh, fulfilling your civic duties as a citizen. Uh, So uh, good for you.
1: I am. It turns out that jury duty in 2022 is both in person and virtual. And today is virtual. I am waiting to find out if I have to go in person. So I'm sitting at home But you know what? Technology being what it is and the fact that we've all gotten a lot of practice at this, both from, you know, the world having COVID and indeed, Nate, you and I both having COVID last week. uh, We are well prepared to do this stuff together uh, remotely.
0: Exactly. We'll just, you know, flying by the seat of our pants here. Whatever needs to happen, we'll get it done, just like our magazines.
1: Nothing like (laughs) becoming a pro at dealing with a global pandemic. I really feel great about it. But this is going to be a fun episode because we're going to talk about our two features about different opening days that we ran in our May issue. And then we're going to talk about a story that I wrote about some really good bourbon, which also at times gets into Yankees reliever Lucas Leakey. So stick around for that. But Nate, obviously, as we record this. I I feel like we say this every week when we record this, but the Yankees are rolling. How about that? They're clicking
0: on, on all cylinders. You know, the defense has been vastly improved, which really makes me very happy. Pitching has been great. The offense is rolling. So just got to keep it up. You know, everybody's healthy right now. Um, That's, that's been the main key. That's been kind of a a bugaboo the last few years, but um, you know, everybody's feeling well, playing well, and uh, just got to keep it going now.
1: I'll be very honest. Obviously, baseball fans especially in the age of social media are conditioned to complain about things. So if the team, you know, isn't scoring enough runs, you'll find a million different reasons to blame it even sometimes ridiculous things like the team hitting too many home runs as somehow being a cause of the team not scoring enough runs. And, you know, cards on the table here, I'm generally someone who doesn't have much patience for people complaining that You know, the team doesn't play small ball enough or any of those things, that kind of stuff that you would hear in years past. But I will say when the team is doing everything right, as it is right now, it is something to watch when the team is stealing bases really well. When the team is, as you said, playing fundamental defense, when the team is, you know, just really enjoying some situational hitting to go along with, obviously, a couple of three-run homers, or as is the case from Monday night, <laughs> a homer from Josh Donaldson, a homer from Rizzo that just put the game away that way. Right now, the team is winning in every different way. Every game is different. And I just went like a minute of talking about how the team is winning. And I didn't even mention the pitching, which is a mistake because the pitching is probably the biggest reason the team is winning. So it, it, it's just been every different kind of way you can watch winning baseball we've gotten to see in these first couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, in stark contrast to the beginning of last season, you know, I mean, there were points last year where Brian Cashman even said it, they were unwatchable, you know, it just, nothing was clicking. And, uh, now you look at the product on the field and it's, uh, it's just a joy to watch, you know, it's baseball, like, uh, like it's meant to be played. Um, all those things you just mentioned, you know, seeing guys steal bases, you know, take extra bases, um, everything, you know, it's just really fun and, uh, can't wait for him to get back home. So I could, uh, get out there in the stands and watch a game live.
1: And, and I mean, we're also having that kind of sensation where, God, what was, it? I guess, Saturday, the team finally lost the game. And even when they finally lost the game, I mean, it was, you know, they still they still made it interesting, but they finally lose a game. And I don't know about you, but, you know, there's just this sense that because the team is rolling so much, it's like, well, here goes maybe, you know, are, are they are they going to go on a little bit of a downturn right now? And instead, then they win the next couple of games. And it just... I think uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. I think I read that the team has not yet lost back-to-back games. Is that right? Or have they lost back-to-back games once? I I actually don't remember, but it's no more than once. And, I mean, what more could you ask for? Because, again, baseball – Look, the Yankees could be on pace right now to win, you know, a couple hundred games or whatever it is. But the reality is that baseball, you're trying to win two out of every three games. And when you're trying to win two out of every three games, there are going to be situations where you lose back to back games. It's just the way it is. But, and this is a point that I think I've made on the last two podcasts. People are going to have to forgive you for making it again. You can keep saying as much as you want, it's early, it's early, it's early. And that is absolutely true. It is early. But as we are recording this on Tuesday morning, the Yankees have 26 wins. Those 26 wins are banked. They count. Even if it's early, the Yankees have gotten off to a start in which they have won 26 out of their 35 games. That doesn't go away even if they go on a slight losing streak. What it means is now they have protection against the slight losing streak because it's going to happen. They're going to lose a couple games in a row, but they're protected now because of the way they played over the first six weeks.
0: Again, it's like the polar opposite of last year where they kind of dug themselves a deep hole so that even when they did run off, you know, what was it? 13 wins in a row last August, uh, it still did, wasn't enough. You know, they still had to, you know, catch fire down the stretch and that was only good enough to get them into the one game wild card game. So, um, you're right. I mean, these wins, they don't go away. They're probably going to be very important come September and, uh, hopefully they pay off in that. We, uh, get to avoid that wild card.
1: But Nate, uh, you know, before I spoke for about two minutes there, you made a great segue that I really should have capitalized on because you said that you can't wait for the team to get home again. So why don't we pretend I didn't talk for two minutes there and I said, hey, home again. That sounds like a feature that we have in our May issue about opening day 2022. And it's part of a package that we have about opening days because you also went to Tampa to watch Rachel Balkovich's opening game as the manager of the Tampa Tarpons. And again, we, we just talked for a couple of minutes about all the things that have gone right and well this season six weeks in but it is still nice to look back at that very beginning because it doesn't matter how far you get away from it opening day whether in you know the minor leagues down in low A Tampa or at Yankee Stadium it's always special right
0: It is and you know people listening might be like well why are we you know talking about opening day here it's the middle of May well you know as we do in the magazine you know we kind of take a step back take a, a wider angle view of things and I think both of these features, help put into perspective just, you know, how special opening day is. Yes, but just how special it is to have baseball back in in full force. You know, the last couple of years, it's been, you know, 2020 was just so bizarre. No fans at all in the stands. And then last year, I think we had, you know, what, 20% or 25% capacity limitations for opening day. So, you know, it was nice to have that, but still not like it was this year when, you know, Yankee Stadium was full. And, you know, you open up this feature that you wrote, John, home again. And it's just a beautiful spread of, you know, looking at the stadium from center field view. And you see the freeze and you see the flags flapping in the wind. And it's just like, oh, uh, it, it, it you know, it stirs something in you just to see the picture. And then, you know, the story illustrates even further, just, you know, how special it was. And to me, John, you know, this piece is kind of like, you know, part six or something in, in your series of like essays, just sort of, you know, taking the pulse of uh, the, the the scene at Yankee stadium. You know, I know so many of our readers are able to get here uh, every year, but uh, a lot of our readers aren't, you know, we have people who subscribe to Yankees magazine who live all over the country and, Uh, They might only get to a game once every five years or once every 10 years, or maybe it's been decades since they've been here. Uh, But I feel like your, your pieces about, you know, what's just going on here at the stadium uh, and with the team, Uh, you're able to bring people in to the Bronx. And uh, this piece that you did on uh, this year's opener uh, is just another, another chapter in that saga.
1: Thank you. And that really is what I was going for. Obviously, you know, in our last episode, we had Brian Hoke here and Brian Hoke, you know, he, he he writes about the team in a fashion that's meant to be taken in within an hour of the game ending. And we know that that's not the case. We know that we are going to write a, a story that's not going to print for weeks at a time. And so what I'm always looking to do with this stuff is to step back and, and, and write a story that's going to work, whether you're reading it, you know, a couple weeks after or it look, I mean, maybe this is. You know, self-involved to say, but if you pick this magazine up a couple years from now or stumble onto the link on the internet, you know, I really wanted to create a time capsule for what these moments were like. And you're right, I did kind of approach this as a series over the course of the last few years, and and you know this. This didn't begin as an opening day story. What this kind of began as was really an examination of being back in clubhouses. I thought it was going to be a totally different story, just about you know what it was like on a very personal level to just be back covering baseball the way that we're used to and act and, and truly how it affects the stories and how it affects the game. And that, you know, for one reason or another, it just worked well to turn that into an opening day kind of photo essay kind of feature. But like you said, it, it, I was really just going for this bird's eye view picture. I don't know if this is closing the book on my you know, pandemic series, if you will, or maybe there's more, hopefully there's not more, hopefully this is it. But if you go back to the things that I was trying to write in July and August of 2020, this is of a piece with that. And one of the crucial parts of that piece that I was, you know, I enjoyed getting to put in there was Garrett Cole talking about starting three different opening days as a Yankee, and how they were all completely different, and that the only real comp he had for what to expect as he prepared for opening day was going back to the 2019 ALCS when he was pitching for the Astros. And and this is a guy who's been on the team now for three seasons.
0: Like I said, I mean, it's been so bizarre, these these openers, but I mean, this year's was like finally back to what an opening day at Yankee Stadium is supposed to feel like. And uh, I mean, the pictures that, you know, go with this story just... Uh, they go so well. I I know that you and Ari probably worked very closely in choosing them, but you know, it's just in such stark contrast to, you know, just two years ago, I'm working now on a story for next, the next issue on on Nestor Cortez. And I, I went back and watched, I wanted to see what happened there in 2020 when he was pitching with the Mariners and, you know, really didn't go well at all. I wanted to see, you know, how different he looked. And, you know, the first thing I noticed when I turn it on is, oh, my God, can you remember when we had stadiums full of cardboard cutouts of fans in, in certain places? It was just so depressing. And then I look at the pictures in this story in the May magazine and I see, you know, DJ LeMahieu rounding first after hitting a home run and just fans packed behind him in the stands going nuts and uh, a picture tells a thousand words. And and the pictures that go with this story certainly augment everything that you're talking about in this piece.
1: For sure. And I, I mentioned this already. I can't say enough about the fact that we're talking about this as a story, but it was meant as a photo essay and the photos absolutely tell as much of the story as anything I could have written between the work that our photographer Barry Schneiderman and Jim Petrozello did. Obviously, Ari was with you in Tampa, as we'll discuss in a minute. So she had to unfortunately miss opening day because of the rain out.
0: You know, readers that pick up the May magazine and and read this feature, they're going to love, you know, reflecting on that type of stuff and seeing these photos that take you, you know, inside the press conference room at Yankee stadium or, or inside the dugout where John Stanton is, is being congratulated by his teammates on opening day, you know, up close with uh, the, the young girl who sang the Ukrainian national anthem before the game. Uh, just so many photos make you feel like you were right there. And uh, the words kind of give a, a perspective as to why it was so important and so special.
1: But Nate, obviously, and I, I hate to, Rub salt on it, maybe, but I don't think that's the case here because, you know, you're reading the story and you say it's making you feel like you were there because you weren't there because you had to miss opening day to be in Tampa. And I don't think you regretted it because you had to write an incredibly special piece about Rachel Balkovic and her first game as a manager for the Tampa Tarpons, the first game managed by a woman in affiliated baseball. That's uh, some history you got to see there. And you just wrote a really exceptional story about not just the game and not just Rachel, but about the moment. And and I honestly, I I read it and I reread it and I reread it. And you just completely nailed what the moment meant and what it meant to people and what it meant to young girls and young athletes and young minor league baseball players.
0: You know, as soon as we heard that uh, Rachel Balkovic had been named the the Tarpons manager, uh, you know, we kind of looked at each other and said, boy, We need to be there for that first game, Uh, not really knowing exactly how it was going to go or even where it was going to be. We figured it would be in Tampa. In fact, it was in Lakeland because the Tarpons started on the road against the Flying Tigers. But we wanted to make sure we were there to document it. And I'm so glad that we were. I mean, again, it's like if this had happened, if she were hired two years ago, uh, they're probably, you know, in the middle of the pandemic there wouldn't have been media allowed there. And there wouldn't have been uh, nearly 3000 screaming young female student athletes who were invited by the Flying Tigers to come watch the game for free, uh, knowing that it was such a historic moment. And so, you know, we were able to travel to Florida and, you know, it was certainly bizarre, like hanging out with the Tarpons while the Yankees were playing on opening day up in the Bronx. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever missed a a home opener since I've been here. But um, I I was certainly glad that we did it because it was an amazing day. And, you know, a lot of the focus uh, in the story is on the crowd. Like I mentioned, you know, the the Lakeland Flying Tigers uh, really had the foresight to invite all these girls to the game. And uh, most of them had never been to a baseball game before. They had never heard of Rachel. They just knew that history was being made and they wanted to be a part of it. And the energy that they brought to the ballpark that night was just incredible. And again, we never would have known it had we not been there ourselves to document it. And uh, so I'm really glad that we had that opportunity.
1: Nate, I think that certainly I'm guilty of this. Um, And and guilty might be the wrong word, but I wrote about Rachel um, earlier this year also. And one of the things that was very important to get across on the story, and that whether it's assistant general manager Gene Afterman, or Kevin Reese, who runs player development, or Dylan Lawson, who helped recommend her, all, all these things, you know, Rachel's not a novelty. Rachel was hired because they believe that she's the best person to manage this team. And you did such a fantastic job in this story of expressing that the players get that and the players are cognizant of both, sure, the history of this moment, but also that Rachel is a person who is going to make them better and is going to help them develop in the sport. You know, it's not for nothing that one of the people who you quote extensively in the story is Jason Dominguez, who, you know, in a lot of ways, obviously, is more famous than his manager, Rachel Albaokovic, but his buy-in is so hugely important to what you know, the Yankees are trying to do this year. And now all of a sudden, Rachel Balkovic isn't a offseason story about a woman hired to be a baseball manager. She is now responsible for helping to develop one of the Yankees most interesting, exciting and important, if you want to say it, prospects.
0: Yeah. And, and he's not the only one down there who, who has a, a, a bright future ahead of him. But yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I was kind of most curious to uh, to report on and observe and find out just... There's these young guys, you know, it's low A. So the average age on that team is probably 19 or 20 years old. And they have a female manager, which none of them have ever had before. How is that going to go? You know, what's the dynamic like? And what became evident very quickly was just how much love they all have for each other. You know, players for their manager, manager for her players. And what's interesting is that I think when male players walk into a clubhouse with a female manager, there's just a different dynamic in a good way where it's like they don't feel the need to like prove themselves maybe as much to their manager like if, if they had say you know a former big leaguer who, who knows what it takes quote unquote to to make it to the show there might be a little bit more um pressure on them or, or they might just feel like they need to to prove themselves whereas with rachel they just they know that she's you know, super astute. She's super intelligent. She's very prepared. And they know that she's there to help them get better. And, you know, they, they all love it. And they, they love playing for her. So it was really cool to be able to talk to all these guys. And, you know, one of them, an outfielder, Ryder Green, I remember him telling me that during the offseason, when, when he heard that uh, Rachel was named manager of the Tarpons, he said to his family, like, I hope I start my season in Tampa because I really want to be there. I want to be part of that first game.
1: Well, I think the through line through both these stories that we're talking about here is opening day is in a lot of ways about the lead up to it. And then certainly the goal, but also the reality is once that first pitch is thrown, it's a baseball game, you know, one out of 100 and some odd, whether it's the major leagues or low A. So Nate, I guess my last question for you, and we can wrap up there is just once that first pitch was thrown, how much of a regular baseball game did it feel like to you as and how much did you feel like you were witnessing something truly special at that point?
0: It was a good entertaining game. Despite the pitch clock in the minor leagues, it managed to still go three and a half hours due to all the pitching changes. But it was an exciting back and forth game. And the Tarpons kind of blew it open late. Anthony Garcia had a big grand slam, uh, late in the game that kind of broke it open, but it it was a good game. But what made it feel unlike any other game I had ever witnessed before was the crowd and, uh, how excited they were to see a woman managing a baseball team. I mean, every time she appeared on the field, which was every inning, because she also served as the first base coach, they would go nuts. I mean, they were chanting her name. It was raucous and it was amazing to see. I mean, I'm getting. Kills thinking about it now. And so I didn't spend much time in the press box that night. I I sat among the crowd a lot and just observed and listened. And uh, at at one point, you know, I I went up to one of the coaches who had brought his team there. You know, he had probably about a a dozen student athletes with him from a a local high school. And I said, you know, I introduced myself, said what I was doing there, and asked if I could speak to some of them. And he's like, sure. So I spoke to probably, you know, 10 girls from Haines City High School down there in Polk County, not far from Lakeland. They were so excited, you know, that they felt just so empowered. Like it was such a special and important moment for women. That was really cool. You know, I mean, that was what made it something that I'll never forget. And I don't think anybody who was there will ever forget it. You know, I kind of end the story with, uh, Talking to Dominguez post game, and uh, the hitting coach Kevin Martir had been translating for him from Spanish to English. And uh, for the the last question I asked him, he kind of waved off Kevin and answered it in English. I said, "You know, Jason, I'm sure you're going to have a long career ahead of you, but you know, 20 years from now, do you think you'll still remember this game?" And he said, "100, 100." He said it was just like when I signed with the Yankees, the same that he's never going to forget that game. So it was a truly special night. And uh, like I said, just super glad that we had the opportunity to be there and to write about it in Yankees magazine.
1: Well, it's incredibly special. The story is a history night at the ballpark. And the story about opening day at Yankee Stadium is home again. Obviously, they're available in the May issue, which is on sale at Yankee Stadium. Or you can go to Yankees.com slash magazine to read them or Yankees.com slash publications to order them. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap this up by talking about one of the New York Yankees, Lucas Litke, who is trying to follow up at truly out of nowhere 2021 season with another exceptional 2022. So stick with us. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
0: Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Nate, as I mentioned at the start here, the success of the 2022 Yankees has had a lot of fathers, if you will, a lot of causes behind it, but obviously the bullpen has been remarkable and However great Lucas Lickie is this year, God, I don't even know what he would have to do to make for a more impressive and more inspiring and inspired season than what he put together last season.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about improbable. I mean, it was a a guy who, you know, came to spring training that most of us had never even heard of and were wondering, you know, how we pronounce his last name. Well, by the uh, middle of last season, Everybody knew who Lucas Licky was because it was one of the great stories on last year's team. A guy who hadn't pitched in the big leagues in six whole years suddenly became a, a huge part of this Yankees bullpen. John, you really knocked it out of the ballpark here talking about him <laughs> and comparing him to Bourbon, uh, which, you know, is kind of right up your alley. Now, did you have to imbibe in order to uh, to write this story?
1: You know there was some, there was some experimentation. Obviously, I took some for the team here. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, will, I'm willing to go the extra mile w- when necessary to uh, chase down my story. But um, honestly, I, I spent so much time as I was conceiving the story, worrying that it was forced, that I was trying to force in this idea of bourbon into it. But I, I mean, look, the, the reality is bourbon it sits in a in oak barrel for usually at least six years. And it just kept on kind of coming back, just like this natural idea of maturation and, and, and cutting out the rawness and developing and getting more complex. But it, I, I I promise you have to take my word for this. It came along organically because this actually started, believe it or not, a day or two before I spoke to Lucas, because I was talking to Chad Green. And one of the things at the end of our conversation, we just got to talking about because I, I, I was asking him, you know, what kind of stuff he's able to do that he wasn't able to do previously. And he was telling me about how, you know, the guys, like a lot of them like to drink bourbon together. And one of the guys he mentioned who's into it is Licky. And so at the end of my long 25-minute interview with Licky, who... I can't stress this enough. I had never spoken to him in person. I'm not even sure I'd ever asked him a question in a Zoom just because we hadn't been in clubhouses. This was during spring training. It was my first time back in a clubhouse. But at the end of the conversation, honestly, I had almost already turned my microphone off because it was just small talk, kind of. I'm follow, I'm asking him about, you know, the stuff that Chad had been telling me about, you know, the bourbon and everything like that. And as he's answering this and as he's telling me about, you know, the bourbon, he likes to get himself and everything like that. That's when it's just hitting me like, wait, six years. Like, this is this is something here. And it just from that point, it was like, oh, my God, this is the story. Like what what went from being, OK, cool. I'll find, you know, this really inspiring, really interesting story about this reliever. All of a sudden, I'm like listening to the to layers develop in my head as he's talking and I actually had to go back once they came north uh, when we were in the Bronx just to speak to him a little bit more about it, because I knew at that point, like, I need to know more about this guy's relationship to Bourbon because this is the story.
0: Well, the analogy actually works perfectly. But I mean, it's a very, uh, you know, this is a, a deep dive into exactly what's going on out there when when Licky's on the mound. So I imagine you probably had a chance to go back and and review, you know, what he was doing. The previous time when he was up in the big leagues up in, I guess it was 2015 or so. What do you think is the biggest difference between him and now? What What is that? What did that maturation entail that has allowed him to you know go out and do what he's doing over the last year plus now?
1: So it sounds ridiculous to answer like this because I'm going to make it sound very simple. And obviously, if it was very simple, everyone would do it. 100% the answer is he just stopped walking people. And that's it. He stopped walking people. So... Licky is a guy. He he tells me that his pitch is a glitch pitch. Like he doesn't really know why it moves the way it does. Why why it's able to do everything like the way it moves around. So it's a cutter, but you know it's kind of a slider. Um, you know, and, and he also throws this now ridiculous slider. The reality is he had so much movement on it, but he didn't realize though is that he can aim down the middle, and the ball's going to move out. What he was trying to do was aim out of the strike zone and have it move in. But the problem is the guys just weren't swinging. And so if he missed, he was just walking people and he didn't have the conviction to throw strikes. But more than that, the people he was facing didn't think he was going to get throw strikes. So they they didn't worry about him. And the thing I kept going back to, you know, if you remember Mariano Rivera, when he would pitch, everyone would say, just don't swing. Because the ball would dart out of the strike zone and a guy would look silly swinging. And you would say, just don't swing. And if you ever spoke to Mariano Rivera about it, he would say, please don't swing. I'll be fine. Because the thing is, Rivera knew he could throw a strike whenever he needed to. That was the difference. Licky could not throw strikes. He didn't have the conviction to throw strikes. So that was what the Yankees did. It's funny to talk about this stuff because, yeah, I can go back and watch his outings from 2015, some of them. But you can't look at Statcast data or any, any of the metrics that we're used to now to see how the ball was spinning or how it was moving. It didn't exist the last time he was in the major leagues. So, you know, you're taking on faith in what they're saying, but, you, you know, the things you can look at, the batted ball data, you know they weren't hitting him that much harder. All the stuff he wasn't, you know, doing his, his batted ball results didn't profile that differently. The difference was just he stopped walking people.
0: I think about the, uh, the the piece I wrote earlier this year on Clay Holmes, and it's sort of a, a similar tale in, in that, you know, he hadn't had a ton of success before coming to the Yankees, but then he can't, comes here and it's like, wow, I mean, this guy is just blowing hitters away. And so, you know, I, I wonder uh, what sort of impact would you say that just becoming a Yankee had on Lucas Lickie success, whether it's working with the coaching staff here or just, I I thought with Clay Holmes, maybe it was just, you know, having gone from a a team in the basement with the, you know, the Pittsburgh pirates to coming to a team that's, you know, fighting for first place, maybe that just re-energized him or something, but um, it was more than that with him. So in in talking to the guys that you spoke to, what do you think uh, the difference has been in that regard?
1: Obviously, look, the Yankees have a track record with this stuff at this point uh, in terms of taking, you know, pitchers and, and being able to change their profiles in a lot of ways. And, and look, it doesn't work every time, obviously. But you mentioned Clay Holmes. That's an incredibly good example. You look at Jonathan Loizaga. You look at, uh, you know, what Chad Green has been able to do over the years. You look at, uh, obviously, you know, Lucas licky, Michael King. Clearly, they're identifying something that, that's really working in terms of trying to get these pitchers, get the most out of them. And, you know, L- Licky he had choices where he wanted to go. It's not like he had necessarily reason to believe that he was obviously going to be in the major leagues, but he chose to come to the Yankees because he believed what they were saying to him and not to take anything away from the Yankees, you know, analytics staff or Matt Blake or Mike Harky or anything like that. But if you ask Glicky, he's going to credit someone maybe unexpected with what happened to him. And that is Oliver Perez. What Perez told him to do was to watch batting practice. And what he said to him was, these guys are throwing half speed, and they're throwing it right down the middle. But some of these batters, they're still popping the ball. Not every ball goes over the fence. And he's, what he said to him is like, just imagine what it's like when you're throwing full speed and your ball is moving. Like If they're popping up some of these batting practice fastballs, but they're coming right down the middle. Imagine what they're going to do against you. And the point was, trust yourself. Trust that the ball is going to move the way you need it to, but throw strikes. And, and if you have menace to your pitches, it's going to work. And I was talking to Josh Donaldson, and, and what he said is he compared it to almost, you know, Jake DeGrom and Max Scherzer saying, you know, it's the guys who can work around the zone and then go out when they need to. That changes the hole at bat. But Lickie couldn't do that previously. So now he can throw strikes and guys have to swing. But at the same time, you know, this new slider he's been developing, and obviously, you know, that's something that he's been developing with the Yankees. So if you want to talk about, you know, the Yankees pitch design there, that would probably be the best example. You go back to the first week of the season, he's facing Rafael Devers, a lefty. Throwing cutter, 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 cutter. Suddenly he throws a slider that looks like it's starting basically at Devers' head. It goes right into the zone. Devers was halfway to the dugout trying to dart out of the way of it. And now it's a strike and he's just laughing. And then the next pitch is way out of the zone. Devers swings helplessly because of course he does. Because at that point, you know, what's he going to do? And that is what like he couldn't do in 2015.
0: It's a very insightful piece. And, uh, you know, it's not just about his, his, you know, the pitches themselves, but you also get into, you know, some of the off field stuff and just his mentality and and getting through some of those tough times and how supportive his wife has been and and how, you know, helpful she's been in, in, you know, sort of getting him to realize even, you know, when at times when he wasn't where he wanted to be, that it was still pretty good. Just, I I love this piece. It's called aged perfection. It's in the May issue. And uh, I, I really hope
1: people check it out. And hey, look, pour yourself a nice glass of bourbon while you read it, because I think it's important to get the full experience.
0: (laughs) I agree. That would be a very uh, enjoyable way to spend a, a little bit of time with
1: Yankees magazine. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Nate, obviously, look, you know, times times are good for the Yankees right now. Hopefully when we do this again in two weeks, times are still good. But whatever happens, we're getting close to uh, wrapping up our May issue here. And we're, we're finishing now working on our June issue and the season, you know, before you know it, it's going to be summer. It's finally getting nice out. So it's quite a time to be a Yankees fan right now. Yeah, let's keep it rolling. Keep it going. Well, thank you so much, Nate. And to all of you, thank you for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We uh, hope you are a subscriber and a regular listener. If you are not, please go to yankees.com slash podcast or the podcast app of your choice and subscribe. Also, rate and review us. It really does help. You can, of course, also find our long form content on yankees.com slash magazine. You can read the three stories we talked about there today, plus everything going back for a couple of years. So make sure you do that. Follow us on Twitter at Yankees. Magazine and on Facebook, you know Yankees Magazine. We're going to post all our stuff there. Sometimes we post great deals on subscriptions and things like that, so make sure you follow us. And of course, go to yankees.com slash publications to buy back issues or subscribe or anything of that nature. Thanks so much. Have a great day and go Yanks.
0: Hi, this is Chad Green. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much and go Yankees.